And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Hi listener, welcome back to another episode of Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up this week, we are going to be reveling in the fact that Manchester United beat Tottenham Hotspur with one of the best second halves we've seen from United all season. We're going to talk a little bit about Erlen Haaland, we're going to discuss the revival of Mason Greenwood, and we're going to talk a little bit about Edson Cavani. Tell me, dissect everything about Manchester United. I'm joined by Laurie Whitwell, my fellow beat reporter for Manchester United at The Athletic. Hi, Laurie. How are you doing? Good, yeah. Um, looking forward to this one. Lots to get into. Obviously, a very good performance to dissect and some uh, quite interesting post-match comments to uh, get into as well. Very, very interesting comments. Also with us, he is the editor of United We Stand and the contributing writer to The Athletic. I've just got my brand new issue of United We Stand. It's got a fantastic front cover of Luke Shaw being the chosen one. It's Mr. Andy Mitten. How are you doing, Andy? Hi, Carl. Looking forward to this. All good, mate. Before we get started, listener, don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic for the special price of $3.99 a month for the next six months. That's 40% off the price of a full subscription. You can enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very, very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Very much recommend getting in, especially when we're running towards the end of the season. There's going to be loads of Champions League stuff, as well as the European Championship that's coming up very shortly. So... All you need to do is go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. Now then, let's get into this. Here's Cavani, Paul Pogba. Pogba, great footwork. Pogba picks out Greenwood. Come on, Mason. Greenwood. Greenwood! Fantastic! Mason with an absolute screamer. He's coming to the boil just at the right time and Manchester United cementing second place, surely. What a comeback. Just a fantastic Sunday. A game that at one point looked to have no conclusions. At another point looked to have a, another tedious discussion about VAR and whether or not Son is as wholesome as one thinks it is. But then it became just a fantastic second half performance from Manchester United, the best I've seen all season for my money. Laurie, what did you think of that result against Spurs? Yeah, I think you're spot on there, Carl, in terms of the level of performance um, in the second half. Yeah, the, the best, I would say, because of the context of it, not only the quality of the goals, the way that United were able to slice through Tottenham, one touch passing, you know, the, the, the different ways that United scored as well, but also the context of it, you know, the fact that they'd scored a perfectly legitimate goal first half, they'd been chalked off and then Spurs, the, the, the guy that had obviously managed to get the goal chalked off goes and scores and, you know, it looked like it was going to get a bit, a bit fragmented, a bit frustrated. Cavani got booked and you sort of wondering, is this going to turn the wrong way? Is this going to be a Jose uh, sort of masterclass for kind of disrupting and unsettling an, uh, an opponent team? It, 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 that Spurs performance in the first half did feel like a Mourinho team, you know, carrying out instructions to let, you know, the, the kind of way that, you know, 
loads of arms went up in the air when sun goes down holding his face you just sort of felt okay that's yeah I can see where I can see that's the team by this manager basically and so in that context I thought that United actually kept calm and kept playing their football um, I think Scott McTominay was, was great after the game in terms of sort of um, making that clear that that's what they come out intending to do um, and listen I, I thought Fred was having a bad game and then he goes and turns into you know Pele one touch passing he remembers he's Brazilian and he, he scores a goal <laughs> for the first time in the Premier League for United and from that moment I think you know United, you, you just sensed that they were going to keep building into the game uh, I loved Mason Greenwood's cameo off the bench it was decisive it had everything that you'd want from him um, and he listened to Edinson Cavani when he was talking about giving me faster. You know, he then gave him a cross first time, great header. And then the, the kind of the, the injury time of six minutes was just absolutely bizarre to me because I don't know, was it five subs and, and, and didn't seem like there was any injuries and, and much stoppage? And But anyway, listen, United went and used that six minutes very uh, appropriately. And it was nice to see Greenwood score a kind of goal that we've, we've become accustomed to, haven't we, last season? That that sort of shifting it, taking on his defender and going left or right, and he goes right this time, fires it past a, a World Cup winning goalkeeper. So a really good performance, I think, and one that actually just really underlined Solskjaer's progress with this team and gives a lot of promise for how the, the end of the season might might come. I think having Cavani up there is such a major thing and obviously we'll get on to perhaps where his future lies but um, but I think that, that it just gives a bit of positivity towards you know the Europa League and, and, and finishing second although you know you look at that you know, are we allowed to look at City very slightly? I mean there's that stat isn't there that you know <laughs> City were I know Andy remembers this one. That, you know, City were um, eight points behind Manchester United with six games to go in, in 2012 and managed to somehow claw it back. Uh, although I suppose in that situation, um, City were able to play United, weren't they? And, and that was a sort of win for them, loss for United and that, that turn, turn the dynamic. But if United beat Burnley on Sunday, that's what the gap will be. We shall see. Some amazing things from that performance. was very impressed how Scott McTominay and Fred managed to toe the line after getting quite early yellow cards. Paul Pogba, once again, one of the best performances I've seen in a long time from him. I say a long time, since AC Milan, basically. Andy, what did you see in that game? And do you think it's sustainable? A hugely significant win for Manchester United, perhaps the most significant of the season. I know the result away at Manchester City was better given that City at top of the table, but the way that United came from behind, kept the calm, got over the injustice of that VAR decision, and that really good goal where Pogba and Cavani had combined so well. And I know that the players were really cheesed off about that, but Oli spoke to them at half-time, urged calm, told them to be patient, that they would get their rewards, and they did do. I felt United played really well at Tottenham last year in the second half as well. That was the first game after lockdown. And I felt this year that coming after an away game at Granada, where some of the players looked a little bit leggy, and looked a little bit tired. And that win was a very good one. A 2-0 win away in Spain in a European last eight game is, is a great result, but it wasn't a great performance. So I was worried going to Tottenham because you know the team arrived back in Manchester Friday, one o'clock, went to Carrington, went home, up early Saturday morning, training, didn't even have a full training session, back down to London, Tottenham had a week to prepare the shape of their side and United were still giving instructions to the players in the hotel on Sunday morning in London and saying, this is what we want you to do. And 
I know, and I tweeted this on Sunday night, a little nod to the backroom staff because no one knows the names really, but they've had to prepare for 50 matches, 51 if you include the friendly against Villa since September. And there's never been such an intensity of matches. And some people responded and, and well, most people said, yeah, fair enough, good point. But some people said, yeah, yeah but they earn millions. No, they don't. They don't. I'm sorry if you're working in many roles at a football club. It's just a normal wage and it's it's obviously interesting work. But that result um, was fantastic. Makes United even more comfortable in second, which we shouldn't really take for granted. I didn't think United would be second at the start of this mm-hmm. season. Uh, yes, I did think uh, on Saturday in about can, can dare to dream. You, you, are you telling me there's a chance? <laughs> so what you both said about that, I don't think United will be winning the league this year, but I was cursing those draws earlier on in the season. But then look, you're always going to drop uh, points. United have, have done very well, given the, the strength of the, of the squad to be in the position that, that the team are in. But three went away at Tottenham. A little bit of... Um, Revenge for that that 6-1 at Old Trafford, which wasn't a 6-1 defeat, but it was a pretty horrendous defeat. And I suppose we'll talk about the key players. Pogba outstanding. Greenwood, when he came on, he's passed for Cavani. Cavani himself, just a good motivation. But more than anything was the spirit the team showed. And this is an intangible. And footballers don't like talking about intangibles they hate it they absolutely hate it when fans say to them you've got no pride in the shirt or when they ring into radio stations saying um no heart no passion they hate it you're basically calling them frauds and liars Mm -hmm. and they hate when former professionals say to them it's about passion and desire and all these intangible stuff but that team was full of it in the second half you could see the way they celebrated the goal and I think it bodes well. You know, I was worried that the team were were tiring towards the end of the season after Granada. Keep proving me wrong. There's only a month of the season left. Season ends, hopefully, in Gdansk in one month and three days. Keep carrying it through. Win the Europa League, finish second. And that would be a really good season for United. Not every season, but for this season. That'd be a really good season. To subscribers that take part in the Q&A sessions, we are using the Andy Mitten metric for success for Manchester United now, which is top four and a trophy. It's looking on. I think from some of the photographs after the Spurs victory, it looked as if everyone really enjoyed that. There were some really interesting photos with uh, Luke Shaw celebrating with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in front of uh, Jose Mourinho. Mourinho himself uh, making special effort to make sure he didn't get his head patted by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. This feels like a little bit of a rivalry. Laurie, you did a fantastic piece earlier in the week uh, about Mourinho's time at Manchester United. Do you feel as if there was a little bit extra needle in this game. Yeah, yeah, I do actually. And yeah, thank, thankfully the result went a certain way because, you know, from a professional point of view, that helps, I think, people in, in people's intrigue in, in, in sort of then going back and seeing, okay, well, how what happened at United? And, and is there any similarities with what's happening at Spurs? I think if 
if Tottenham had managed to win that 1-0, the piece might not have got quite as much traction. But yeah, listen, I think people went and had a look after the game as well. I felt like it was a good moment to kind of just reassess what Jose had done at Manchester United. And listen, you, you won trophies, um, Europa League and, and um, League Cup, obviously. For a lot of people, the grievances that he had at the club were valid, you know, in, in some way. But the way he went about doing that, uh, complaining about that was just kind of brought a weariness, I think, over time that, and then obviously he had, you know, major fallouts, you know, he would complain about certain things that were had, you know, no real basis in, in any human action. So the, the one element that I thought was quite interesting that, that came out, um, which I think was, is kind of new is, is his um, sort of pointing the finger of blame at John Alexander, who uh, was United's club secretary, who, who's now actually still involved with the club on a consultancy basis. But there was a, an, an episode after United had gone down to Chelsea where they couldn't fly back because there was too much fog. But Jose, in his mind, this was a fault of United's planning and they had to get a coach back and they uh, arrived back very late. There was ice on the roads as well. And then they had a training session on the Tuesday and then it was Rostov in Europa League on the Thursday. So it was very very difficult time of the, of the season and, and, and he thought that the planning should have been better and he you know made no bones about it you know in the way that he, he went about it and then that season at the end of it John Alexander sort of stepped down you know retired basically like I say, he's, he's still involved but it was that kind of those kind of episodes were I think quite frequent so it wasn't just the players um, that he would call out in public which again we, we can talk about which I think we'll get on to obviously the, the, the post-match stuff really which is quite amusing I, I find but in this particular episode but it was just interesting to hear different people's opinions of him. And I think it does show that the way that he's managing at Spurs is pretty similar. You know, when you look at the way that he's he's jettisoned some players, Deli Alley, you know, can't get a look in. There's others as well that I think are very much of a, an opinion that Jose is not for them. Um, so you've, you've kind of got that split almost already. And that's obviously what ultimately you know, well, results and, and that sort of atmosphere at Carrington cost him his, his job at United. And you sort of wonder how long it's basically, you know, the, the, the way that Mourinho is going to act, you know, that he's going to have massive charisma, massive charm. And he does have moments where he's very pleasant with people. He can make people laugh. He's obviously super, super intelligent, but also his approach comes at a price and are Tottenham willing to have that price for the potential of winning, you know, the FA Cup or sorry, the League Cup as they are in the final against Manchester City or, you know, will Champions League qualification be the deciding factor there? It's, it's, it's an interesting topic, but I certainly think regarding Sunday's match, yeah, you're right, Carl. Yeah, I noticed you you tweeted that about the part. I missed that and I, I, a great little spot there because that that definitely was an issue at Old Trafford when, when Oli did that to Jose the, the first time. It was meme central, wasn't it? You know, you had Oli and, and Luke Shaw shaking hands with, with a, a sort of scowling Mourinho behind and clearly Luke Shaw was a player who very much got the brunt of Jose's criticism and and one thing actually that came out in, in my piece was that, that the private stuff was actually worse than the public stuff which which you know amazed me I mean it was pretty scathing in public um, some of his his lines were very cutting but it, but in private he would say in front of the group criticisms of Luke Shaw that were, were, were pretty close to the bone and listen you, you don't want players to be needing an arm around the shoulder all the time. Uh, you don't want them to be, you know, uh, you, don't, you don't want managers to be supine to, to players. You know, it, it, you have to be hard. You have to tell them when they need to improve. But there's obviously 
a line really where you've got to protect your players in public. You know, Ferguson would always protect his players in public. Solskjaer does, you know, you can be sure that there's been occasions when Solskjaer has absolutely rollicked players privately and then come out in a press conference and defended them to the hill. And that is not to say that he's been two-faced there. That's just being diplomatic and understanding that you've got to keep these guys on side until you decide that you want to sell them. Let's talk a little bit more about Luke Shaw and other players like on Solskjaer has improved. I know, Andy, I just said, you put Luke Shaw on the front cover of United We Stand. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Mason Greenwood as well. I believe you spoke to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and uh, Mr. Fletcher about Greenwood and his progress this season recently, didn't you? I spoke to them both in, in Granada about Mason. And I don't think he was the, the best player on the pitch in Granada by a long shot. He got better in the second half, but he was pretty poor in the first half. But he's been playing well. He's not been scoring, but... Fletcher especially went into great detail about what he does and Fletcher speaks so well. I'm so glad that he's working at Manchester United because his level of football and the way that he can articulate what's going on is a lesson for anyone who who listens to him, including other people at the club. And I think he can definitely add to Manchester United's talent base. Oli spoke um, well of Greenwood and you would expect him to He's his manager and it, it feeds into what Laurie's saying about speaking well of the players publicly but I genuinely believe it he has been playing well he has matured physically mentally takes on instruction there's a football intelligence there which belies his years we saw that again with his pass to Cavani that instinctive pass for the headed goal. I'm really excited and not too troubled by the fact that he's not breaking Ronaldo Messi records for goals so far this season. He's learning to play as a team. He doesn't have a huge ego. There are other players there who have far bigger egos. And for a young lad being told that he's the best thing since sliced bread, uh, not to have a huge ego is, is important. And just listening to people who've played the game at the highest level, talking about his football intelligence, the way he gets into the half spaces, the way he brings other players into play, shows that he's, he's, he's definitely a work in progress, but he is progressing. And I think you might have a world-class player on your hands in two or three years with Greenwood. We've seen exciting young players before. And I, I see progress in this season even though it's not the his breakthrough season. And, and uh, as Ollie said to me, defenders didn't know who he was last year. Now they've worked him out. So now it's for him to work out how to get past those defenders. And he'll make some mistakes. And two of my most vivid memories in that empty stadium in Granada last week, apart from the, the, the gentleman running on the pitch um, <laughs> with no clothes. Did you get a close-up I mean, of that, Andy? Yeah, I had a really nice chat with him after. It was great. <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> yeah, it's exclusive. One thing about him, right? He, he hid under the canvas from seven in the morning and the game started at nine at night. And it was pretty cold, right? <laughs> Where did, like, what did he eat? Where did he put his house keys? This is for- <laughs> house keys. <laughs> or whatever. He's, he's pretty well known locally, actually. Oh, uh, okay. He sort of, he, he, he had to be rescued last year standing in a position used for statues by the museum, the beautiful museum, and the fire brigade had to get up a ladder to, to bring him down. And he, he, people quite like him. 
Is he, is he like a serial offender in this situation? Then? Is he like the, the Granada version of Carl Powell? Yeah, yeah. I mean, slightly different from Carl from in that the, the Granada streaker feels that he just wants to bring peace and love to the world. Right. And and Carl was about these outrageous pranks. Him and his mate Tommy, you know, that was building for quite a while. Tommy was the main man behind that. So Tommy would sneak into press conferences in that treble year and just throw a question in. Er, Fergie, is it true that you nearly signed for City last week? And all the other journalists would just look round and go, who unearths him? But they weren't going to do anything about it because Tommy's a Tommy can look after himself. And in Tommy's mind, he's got every right to, to be there. And at first, Fergie would, wouldn't like it. Uh, but then he'd start laughing because... United were winning and winning and winning and going to the final. And maybe this madcap Mancunian was bringing luck somewhere along the way. But the second finger in Granada was Bruno <laughs> shouting, Mace, 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 every time. And it happened twice just before half time. He ran towards goal and Bruno was to his left. And Mason should have passed it, but he didn't. He tried to go past two or three defenders. And Solskjaer's point was he just needs to work that out in his game. And it's a good thing. Let him make mistakes. Let him realise that that's not going to work and the next time he should deliver. He should pass the ball across. And I think we saw that with the goal at, at Tottenham. A couple of minutes before, Greenwood had a shot when he should have passed. And there's definitely a feeling among the coaches that the next time he didn't shoot, instead he, passed, he put the ball into, into Cavani. So. Cavani had a word with him, didn't he? He did. And, and that, that's a factor as well. And he was right to have a word, mm. which shows how his experience is helping. You wrote on Cavani, didn't you, Carl? I mean, that was the, that he was, I was going to ask you who was your man of the match because it's difficult. There was a lot of man of the matches, I think, on Sunday, but you wrote about Cavani and his movement. I think he was probably the standout, right? Yeah, I think what was really interesting about that second half was it wasn't the traditional comeback win that United have got this season, which is very much Bruno Fernandes, loads of counter-attacks and attacking on the transition. I think what was really interesting was it was a lot of one-twos, a lot of triangles. That comes about largely from the intelligence of Paul Pogba and also from the movement of Cavani. So Cavani is very subtle in what he does for those goals. The The first goal is really interesting because he moves from the inside to the outside and basically goes, right, Eric Dyer, I'm going to just become invisible to you. Dyer has no idea where he is. So when Fred plays that one too, what's really interesting is when you watch it in slow motion, Dyer is so bamboozled by how Cavani's got into this position rather than do his job he is waving his arm looking for an offside going surely you're offside and in when I was watching in real time I thought that must have been offside as well but no that's what a good striker does I think Cavani's movement allows United to play with much of a platform in terms of that sort of build up play because he comes with the ball he shows for it and yeah he's not the fastest person but he can just shift the defender and create space to so many more players. I understand that you've written a new article about Mason Greenwood. This is true, yeah. It was just touching on what Andy was mentioning there from his Granada um, game where he didn't have the best game and, and maybe that's why he was on the bench at Spurs. 
also Cavani, you know, being against the Jose Mourinho team, you'd kind of think that makes more sense, doesn't it? You know, the kind of physical presence that he brings up, up front, you know, a kind of wily operator against a defence that Jose Mourinho is operating. But what pleased me most was that, yeah, he, he didn't start the game, but then he responded in the way that he did. He came on and was effective. And it reminded me of the uh, interview that we'd had with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after that Milan game where Greenwood, it was actually, I hadn't realised this at the time, but it was 15 games without a goal um, at that moment in Milan. And, but he'd played really well in that game. He'd done the things, the, the, the kind of uglier side of being a centre forward because he was up front that, that match that we hadn't seen obviously last season because you know he's fresh into it and, and he's basically just shooting and scoring every game. Um, but that was what I thought was quite interesting. And that was what my question was, you know, sort of, you know, he's not he's not scored lots this season, but, and Solskjaer interrupted me and, and kind of enjoyed uh, sort of predicting what my question was going to be. And then to be fair to him, he seems to have prophesied this run from Greenwood because he says, you know, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll start scoring soon, no doubt about that. You know, three goals in four games since, one with his left, one with his head, you know, first for that and one with his right. So it just shows, I think, what that Solskjaer knows what he's talking about in that regard. I mean, you'd expect him to, you know, given he was a striker for so many years, but but beyond that, being able to appreciate that in another player and, and know what moments they, they're capable of doing. So that was what I was was, was pretty pleased about. But yeah, I, I think also the, the fact that he's had this conversation with Cavani moments before. And listen, as Andy says, he's going to make mistakes. He's, he's, you know, he's only 19 still. He's, he's not going to have the answer every time. But, but the fact that he then quickly learned from it, you know, whipped in that, that left footed cross from the right, which we've seen before, haven't we? You know, he's, he's done that against Everton, I think it was, and, and Southampton, I think he's put a couple of balls in. So that then opens up another position that you think actually maybe right wing you know that kind of inside right I, I don't know ultimately but it's that versatility is certainly a positive thing but I suppose Cavani is the bit of an elephant in the room when you think about next season and I don't know what do you think about this where is he at it seems like he's the guy that's going to decide right you know United would obviously love to keep him it would make things a lot easier for that it sort of uh, changes their approach in the transfer market with Erling Haaland, with Harry Kane, whoever else they might be looking at. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think of that situation? I've written a big piece on, on this for The Athletic, which I think is going to go up on, on Wednesday morning. So United absolutely want him to stay. And I've said a few times he's he's moved to Manchester at the worst time possible. Don't speak the language. Pandemic. Missed games for five different reasons this season. Was was really annoyed about the um, the suspension because of that tweet. I've spoken to loads of people who know him well and he just said there is not a racist bone in, in his body. And uh, The weather hasn't hasn't been good for him and he's had this sort of stop-start season. So when you hear his father saying about going back to, to South America, you can understand uh, the reasons for him wanting to go back to South America. And uh, United, you know, United have met with him there's been a couple of meetings with him and did like him to stay. I won't bet on it at the moment that the, the he plays for Manchester United next season, which for me is quite sad because I think he's, he will have missed out on playing in front of a crowd. I think the Old Trafford crowd would love a player like him, especially when he's playing as he did at the weekend. If he gets that run of games and he's going to get them now because Martial's out and because he's fit and he took a long time to get fit at the start because he'd had Corona and he didn't join till October. And then, you know, United were drawn with PSG and he was dying to play in that game. But it, it just came too soon. So when his goal was disallowed on Sunday, I just thought this man can be entirely vindicated in feeling like he's 
utterly cursed since moving <laughs> to United. The players really like him. You know, he comes in in the morning, he looks you in the eye, he's got a firm handshake for you, and he doesn't speak English. I'm not going to pretend that, you know, he's picking up words of Mancunian because he's not. And I'm not going to say that he's, he's, he's an idiot with languages either because he speaks fluent um, Italian, French and, and Spanish, but he's not been at the club a long time. And I'd love to see him stay. I just don't think it's going to happen. Humans can change their mind. Football is full of um, stories where people have gone back and, and changed their mind or... Um, you know, been thinking one thing and then gone back to think another thing at, at a different point. So if you're listening, Eddie, do the right thing. I know you listen to this podcast to improve your English. So just stay for one more year where you, where you will be loved. The spring weather is coming out in Manchester. You can get out to the Peak District now. You can go up to the Lake District. You can even go up to Scotland, which is absolutely beautiful. I know you love the great outdoors. The restrictions are going to ease. Your family can come and see you. And you'll be paid as well for playing football. I mean, it's not bad. And experience what it's like to play in front of 74,000 or to score the winner away at Anfield. Because you know that goal on Sunday? That's where the away fans would have been, the northeast corner. Yep. He ran to the wrong bit, right? And United fans, United haven't been able to go to Spurs New Stadium with fans yet because that was the first game after lockdown, before lockdown last year. And, you know, 3,000 of them, him just diving into the away end would have been even better. Got a second yellow card and sent off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Could have been even worse. And then he'd be, cur- <laughs> then he'd be really cursing was. England even more. <laughs> what else are they going to nick me for? Speaking of someone that moved to Manchester around at the same time, I think all Edison Cavani needs to do is play in front of a crowd and hear his chant. And he'll sign the contract. No do, you know, do you know what his chant is, Carl? I do. I do. Do you mind singing it for us? No, no. <laughs> you, you mentioned it. You, you've got to sing it. Um, <clears throat> give it, give it, give it to Eddie Cavani. Give him the ball and he will score all the goals. Brilliant. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Perhaps the most informed player in the Premier League at the moment is Jesse Lingard. This one's a bit interesting, isn't it? Laurie, you wrote a piece around about the international break talking about how Manchester United are exploring their options with Jesse Lingard and possibly Declan Rice. Yeah, the piece with Rashane Thomas, our West Ham uh, United correspondent, it was basically just trying to assess where United were at. And I think it's absolutely fantastic watching Jesse Lingard play the kind of football. And it's ridiculous that it keeps on going and the kind of finishing that he's producing. I mean, you look at where he's taking his shots from. I mean, that goal against Leicester, it looked like a bit of a, a scuff to begin with mm-hmm. from, from the angle that it was. And then you look behind and it's curled at a ridiculous angle. And Casper Schmeichel's got no chance. It looked like it was maybe a goalkeeping error at first. But so he's producing these moments that are... Not only, you know, 
winning West Ham matches and getting them into the Champions League contention, which would be incredible for them. But they're of a very high quality. And you listen, you know, uh, as part of the piece, we, we mentioned that it was a £1.5 million loan fee with a £500,000 bonus to Manchester United if West Ham United get any kind of European competition next season. So that's not a bad move from United's perspective, plus his wages covered in full. So, you know, for a four-month loan spell, you're looking at about £4 million. And from United's perspective, that's a, that's a good deal. We've criticised them before when they've, when they've um, you know, sort of been you know, slack in the market, but I think that was a good deal. They, they held their nerve on that one. But from West Ham's perspective, if they qualify for the Champions League, four million is a drop in the ocean. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. again, it's a fantastic move for them. For Jesse Lingard, he's gone away. He's back in the England squad. He's going to go to the Euros if he keeps playing like this. I, I, I think that's the way it's going to go, you know. Um, and you know, so he's got loads of options. He's got a year left on his contract. And the piece was kind of just assessing what United's view is as a club, what Solskjaer's view is as a manager. And, you know, the fact that West Ham do have a player called Declan Rice who is of interest to Manchester United and the expectation that if West Ham come and say, can we get Jesse Lingard on a permanent deal? The Declan Rice thing will start to be discussed in that terms. I would I would hesitate. Maybe maybe the word make weight is, is the wrong word because obviously Jesse Lingard a, a fantastic player in his own right and will have options. He definitely has other clubs interested in him other than West Ham. Can West Ham afford him? You, you, talk, you talk to people who, who know about these kind of things, who have done deals previously. They're looking at Lingard having one year left on his contract, 20, 25 million. Is, is that a sort of fair fee? Do West Ham have that kind of money? Will Edward would look at the situation and go, well, actually, this is a guy that's that's got the most goals in the Premier League since joining West Ham. Eight goals, I think it is, along with Kelechi and Nacho. So he's, he's actually, you know, you know, for that kind of pedigree, he should be worth more than that. Solskjaer, I think, would be open, well, basically would, would want to sell him if they could get a good amount of money and then they could reinvest that in players that f- could be on an upward trajectory with Manchester United. I, I think for Jesse and the love for the club is genuine, obviously, and that is a, a major factor for him. He's had his chance to work at United under Solskjaer. I don't think he'd get the same kind of spaces that he gets for West Ham, for Manchester United. He, he certainly wouldn't have the same consistency of selection and the same role on the pitch, the kind of responsibility that he's got with West Ham to go and make things happen. It's fantastic to see, absolutely joyous, but I don't know if that would be the same at Manchester United. And Therefore, is it best if, if everybody goes, thank you very much for your service. We can get some money for you now. You can go and get a great career wherever else you want to go. Obviously, he could just say, actually, I'd like to you know, stick around for another year and then leave on a free. That would be his prerogative you know, as a player. Maybe he could get a higher salary that way. And I suppose the small caveat to everything is, as a club, would Manchester United then go, well, actually, we should give Jesse Lingard a new contract you know, to potentially protect transfer value even more. They have done that previously, you know, obviously with Marcus Rojo, uh, Phil Jones, uh, various other players. So that is a, a sort of small caveat at the back of my mind. And, and listen, Jess Lingard could, could well go, actually, yeah, that's that's what I'd like to do. It's a very live situation. And I, I, the, the piece obviously mentions Declan Rice high up and the fact that there were some quite jovial um, discussions uh, during the England camp about Manchester United, you know, and whether he could he could play for them. And so that, that feels like something could be brewing. But listen, West Ham are going to want a hell of a lot of money for him. David Moyes said Bank of England money. So maybe it's a non-starter, but it's just something to consider amid the whole Jesse Lingard interest. A lot of moving parts on a loan deal that didn't really seem to cause surprise back in January. Andy, I want to get your thoughts here. Win-win. Win for Manchester United because their player is doing better than anybody expected. Jesse's can be a star for a top 
a big Premier League club. West Ham are big. West Ham gets 60,000 now, which is unheard mm-hmm. of. West Ham are the third or fourth best supported club if you look at the, the average attendances now. He's not going to get those same opportunities at United because Bruno is a better player than him. But then he didn't get any opportunities this year in the league. Mm. So does he does he accept a hybrid? I'm sure he'd love to be a star at Manchester United more than, than any other club. United fans, in the majority from the feedback I've had, is he probably has had his time, like Laurie says. Probably best for him to move on. But every week his value is going up. And the type of clubs he was looking at going to on loan in January are now very different to the type of clubs who are now interested in, in buying him because of because of what he's been doing, you know, standing out in a, in a very good Premier League team and just shows what confidence can do for a player because he's clearly got the talent. It shows how wrong a lot of Man United fans were who hammered him, slaughtered him, absolutely slaughtered him, said he wasn't fit to play in the second division, that sort of stuff. I don't know what I want. I don't know what, what do you want. What do you lads want? I don't know what the solution is. I, I'd love to see him sort of come back and thrive at Manchester United, but I just can't see him accepting 20 games a season. I would put a shiny penny right now on Jesse Lingard making the England squad for the Euros, probably at the expense of James Madison. I think the way West Ham are set up right now with that very, very strong central midfield base of Suchek and Declan Rice allows Lingard to play to his strengths, which is off the ball running, very much being the garnish on things. Whereas the last time I saw Jesse Lingard play for Manchester United in the FA Cup game against Watford, he had a lot to do because the midfield pairing was Scott McTominay and Donny van der Beek and van der Beek was going ahead forward too much and they were just a bit porous. While West Ham are West Ham and sometimes a law unto themselves, they would be foolish to accept Jesse Lingard but part with Declan Rice. That'd be one of those situations where you sort of get a new hat but give away your shirt. So I think what would be best for all parties would be some sort of arrangement where Lingard goes to West Ham for a nice fee and then that money is reinvested by Manchester United in in areas of need, you know, namely defensive midfield, possibly a right winger, maybe a striker. See if they need a centre back as well. Laurie, what about you? Well, that sort of perhaps brings us nicely onto one of the questions that we got, and also that the piece that I wrote with David Ornstein for his, his column on Monday about. United's interest in other players and specifically mm-hmm. Erling Haaland, you mentioned centre-forward and okay, we, you know, it's, it's obviously with the context of Cavani, but this idea that actually United don't want another Sancho saga where, you know, you, you go in a whole summer where, you know, they have a certain fee in mind, Dortmund have another fee in mind and it just gets to a stage where you're then making signings on deadline day. You know, we spoke about Cavani, you know, not signing um, until October and, and having to get past COVID regulations to start, you know, if he'd actually been in the uh, in the building earlier in the summer, he could have played against Crystal Palace, he could have played against Tottenham Hotspur. So those, you know, matches, you know, are now, right now, the dif- deciding factor in Manchester United being in a title race or not, you know, potentially. So that's, I think hopefully United have learned a lesson from that. And I accept that Erling Haaland is the number one and Solskjaer will definitely want him in the building. And he, he could be a striker for the next 10 years at United. But do you wait all summer? Do you try and negotiate all summer? And then you're left with a situation that isn't ideal or can you actually get out quick if the price is too much? Listen, I, I don't know, you know, I'm not involved in those conversations, but people say that the wage... Um, that Erling Haaland is asking for, or rather Mino Rola 
and his father Alf Inger are asking for plus agent fees. The, the, the wage would would break the uh, salary structure, you know, at any club really that he goes to. So they have to weigh that up as to whether that's a, a wise investment. Um, squad harmony is is a factor there, obviously. So it's a difficult balance. I can understand that, but you know, can can they just do it quickly, basically? And then obviously <laughs> that has a knock on effect. And listen, I, I accept what what the what they might say about the Euros and how you have you have to let Lingard play at the Euros and and see. You know what happens there, but could is that all evolved? You know, can can they do their business with more uh, clinic clinical edge than than perhaps has, has appeared um, previously? You know, they will. You know, I'm sure you know. I would say actually, we did Donny van der Beek secretly, and, and and nobody really knew about that until we we signed him. So I wonder if if more deals in that you know realm can can be achieved. The Lingard effect has given United a little bit of uh, leverage in, in the market in, in some regards. You know, they haven't really had that many assets that they could get a good level of finance for previously. Obviously, Lukaku was one, but that was, you know, they basically got what they paid for him, a bit less, you know, um, and, and having to pay for that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so so there's, there's those considerations to have. I suppose one thing would, could, could Lingard have had more chance this season? I think the Doddy van der Beek factor w- was an issue there. You know, he, he wasn't in squads at all, which, which, which is quite a startling thing given how well he's doing at West Ham. So that's perhaps one consideration. But I'm hopeful of a, a sort of swift series of decisions in the market. But whether that actually comes to pass, it is, it is difficult. It's easier said than done. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Shall we get into some reader questions? Thank you so much. I say reader questions, listener questions, listener questions. Hopefully they Thanks read so as well. Listeners. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully they're subscribers as well. Thank you so much for always answering our call and uh, submitting your best questions. We've got one from at online MUFC, which simply goes, uh, would Ollie actually not feed his kid if he did that? Please discuss. Uh, this is in regards to some comments made after the victory over Spurs, where Solskjaer joked that if his son um, fell on the floor and lied down for three minutes after being hit in the face by Scott McTominay and 10 other players, need to come and help him, then he wouldn't get feeding. Laurie, you mentioned what's interesting about this comment is this isn't the first time Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has mentioned feeding his son. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, analogy, is that, is that the right word, that, you, that he's used before, weirdly, against Spurs earlier this season when Eric Lamella, was he guilty of play acting when Anthony Martial, you know, sort of slapped him around the throat? Obviously, you know, Anthony Martial got a red card for that. And after the game, Solskjaer, a slight change to the theme, he, he said he, he would go without 
bread and water, I think, for, for three weeks or some some period of time. So, he, you know, he would, he actually specified the kind of food. Although if he's then getting bread and water after the three weeks, is that really what Sasha's feeding his, his kid? Listen, it's obviously a, a joke. And I had actually had a, a couple of friends that were sort of saying that maybe it was it was a bad thing that Solskjaer was sort of equating not feeding his child in, in, in this way. And, and but I, I think you just have to accept that it's a, an image that he's trying to conjure about the seriousness uh, that he takes such a, an act. And it's, you know, he's talking about his own son. Uh, he's talking about how he would, you know, be very angry if that happened. I think that's probably fair to say. And Solskjaer has been pretty fair in that regard. You know, there's that time when he got sent off for hacking down Rob Lee as the last man and, and Ferguson went mental at him um, for that and said the game isn't played like that. And I do think that Solskjaer has that as a kind of core principle you know, and listen, I know that Manchester United players have gone down, you know, with severe injuries looking like and really, you know, they just need a bit of magic sponge and they're all right. I mean, obviously Bruno Fernandes got a penalty in Granada with a, a sort of hand in the face. I mean, I do think that the guy actually did, you know, get his poke his eye really and, and you could see the, the red mark. So I don't think that there was too much wrong with him at least sort of showing that. But I think the idea that, you know, he went down and then everybody arms went up and you know he's there for you know three minutes as you say you know this come on you don't it doesn't need to happen does it and I think Solskjaer was within his rights to, to call that out and then obviously what I found quite amusing and you can elaborate on this Carl can't you because you were in the press conference afterwards with, with Jose Mourinho it is him flagging this up as some incredible this this idea that it's a very dangerous thing that Solskjaer said and and it really strikes to the core of who he is as a human, um, you know, that, that he's going to let his son go without food. Which weirdly, Jose didn't bring this up after the Old Trafford game. He won that game and, and they lost this game on Sunday. So I, I don't know, some questions about diversion tactics maybe. But I don't know, what was that press conference like to be in with Jose? I was very grateful my microphone was muted and my camera was off when these comments were made. Uh, and Mr. Mourinho said, Sonny is very lucky his father is a better person than Ollie. I'm a father and as a father you have have to always feed your kids it doesn't matter what they do if you have to steal to feed your kids you steal i'm very disappointed so sincere <laughs> i know he said it was very he, he he called out the the lack of uh moral clarity from journalists not asking him about the comments as well and that's the final question from the press conference and we sort of had to to go on with our writing what's also interesting is i think just today um noah Solskjaer, as in Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's son, who <laughs> gave a comment and said, uh, yes, I laughed well on Sunday. I always get food. I can assure everyone about that. He said to a local Norwegian newspaper, Tidens Krav. Uh, we've got another question in here from Arunuva Chatterjee. Uh, Arunuva Red on Twitter. Apologies for pronunciation there if I've got that wrong. Um, which he asked, uh, uh, following the comments, can any of you recall your favourite post-match quip from a Manchester United manager? apart from the well-documented one, like football bloody hell. Andy, you've uh, listened to more press conferences than Laurie and I combined, so I want you to start here. Sir Alex Ferguson was always um, in incredibly in interesting. And sometimes, you know, he'd push the boundaries, he'd, he could be a bit out of order. I remember one in Istanbul in two 2012, Galatasaray, when this smart-ass local journalist said to him, you came here in 1993 and you didn't win. And you've come here again in 2012 against Galatasaray and you didn't win again. And Fergie just looked at him and went, and what did Galatasaray win compared to Manchester United between 1993 and 2012? 
And I just thought, <laughs> oh, he's done him there big time. <laughs> I remember asking David Moyes, uh, on a, he just joined and it was in the Far East tour of Japan. I said, you know, what are you going to do next? And, you know, and he just looked at me and went, well, that's for me to know. And I thought, okay, David. But, and I got on fine with David. And, and it was just quite a short answer. But So you don't know what mood that the players are in either. I'm sure every journalist who dealt with Fergie has their own ups and downs with him. I remember uh, him, after one interview with me, he went mental at me. And I just thought, I'm not scared of you. I can stick up for myself. And I'd explained why his book was as it was, his first autobiography. And just as I was about to start answering back, anyway, so I'm great to see you. Do you want a picture? Put his arm around my shoulder. <laughs> and I thought, he's just done me there big time. Right? He's got his jabs in, bang, 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 verbally. And just as I'm about to speak, anyway, so I'm great to see you. Do you want a picture for, for the interview? And you just, you just walk out feeling dazed because you've been done. You, Laurie? Van Gaal and Mourinho both called me out weirdly uh, when I've, yeah, I've been covering Midlands clubs when Manchester United visited. So when Derby County played United, I asked Louis about red wine, I think because he said Ed Woodward bought him a, a glass of red wine or a bottle, sorry, of red wine every time he beat a top six club. And one of the questions that I'd been asked by my editor at the time to sort of ask was about this red, would, would, would he get one for, for beating Derby County or winning the FA Cup or something? He said, that is a stupid question, which very probably was. Um, and then Mourinho, the one was when he was at Leicester and, and Harry Maguire scored a late equaliser 2-2 and Pogba was captain for that day. I think the first time he was made captain and we were trying to get like a line for the Boxing Day because it was like a, a Christmas fixture. And so it was sort of separate additional questions to the, to the main press conference and um, I said oh, as, Paul, as Paul's shown that he could be captain for the future and, and Joseph was like that's, that's a ridiculous question why are you asking me that uh, and I was like oh, okay and and so we had a bit of a, a to and fro and I was sort of explaining why I was asking him and just sort of saying listen we're, we're kind of looking for a, a Christmas a line after Christmas day and um, but I think that hinted at the, the issues there between him, him, him and Pogba and the fact that okay he might have made him captain for this game but ultimately he wasn't really it, it kind of that, that relationship was on the turn. So, uh, but I don't mind managers having a go at, at journalists, you know, as long as it's fair, as long as you can have a, you know, a response back. And I, I, I mean, to be fair, Fergie's obviously, yeah, as you say, he's cut you off there, hasn't he, Andy, with you, you've not been able to actually get a response in. But I, I think you've got to be, it's, you know, it's a serious industry. It's, it's full of pressure. You know, managers are asked, being asked to speak immediately after a game. The adrenaline's high. You know, it, it's not an easy situation to be in, even for the guys that have been doing it for years and years and years. So I always think as long as, you know, you're fair with them, they're fair with you. You can have a bit of an argument. That's no no problem. There you have it. Talk to the devils. Come for the analysis. Stay for the stories about streakers and journalists. Listener, that is the end of today's episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Laurie. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Andy. That was fun. And thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy your questions. And we really do appreciate you uh, tuning in. Thank you so much, Andy. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Laurie. Hope you've enjoyed listening, everybody. That brand new issue of United We Stand is on sale right now. Luke Shaw on the front cover. I heartily recommend it to all of you. Other than that, this has been another episode of Talk of the Devils. We will see you sometime next week. The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.